Hello and welcome to the third episode of Season 2 of the Stocks and Savings Podcast. I'm Andrea. I'm Jamie. And today we're going to talk about how to start budgeting. We'll talk about what a budget is, the benefits of budgeting, how to set up a budget for the first time, including a discussion of different budgeting approaches, and we'll end with a discussion of our personal budgeting approaches. As a disclaimer, remember that nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. Always do your own research and apply your own judgment when making a financial decision. So what is a budget? A budget is simply a roadmap for where your money goes when you get paid. A budget takes your money and gives it a job to do, whether that's paying bills, saving towards buying a home, or going for a nice meal out. You can make it as detailed or high level as you want. The main benefit of budgeting is that it enables you to spend your money responsibly. A lot of us have been brought up thinking that if you have money, you have to spend it, especially when you're young. So having a budget helps you to develop good spending habits. That means that you would generally have more peace of mind when it comes to your finances. According to Champion Health, financial stress is the top cause of stress outside of work for employees, more than relationships or parenting. So if budgeting can help with that, even just a little bit, it could mean an overall improvement in your well-being. The second benefit of budgeting is that it helps you plan for the future. It can help you buy a home, save for retirement or for your children's education, amongst others. Even if you're young, you'll find achieving your long-term goals a lot easier if you get in the habit of budgeting early on. In the next section, we'll outline some useful steps on how to start budgeting, but remember that you don't have to do all of these steps and not all of them might apply to you. Perhaps the most important aspect of a budget is to find what works and what is sustainable for you. So feel free to take some of these steps and discard some as you might see fit. So the first step is to calculate your net income, which is basically the money that you bring in. So it can be calculated as your salary, your your take-home salary, that is, so what goes into your bank account plus any other income you might have, such as side hustle income or dividend income. The second step is to do a deep dive on your current spending. So you can start with your fixed expenses, such as rent or mortgage, your utilities, car payment, and insurance. Next, look at your variable expenses, like groceries, fuel, and entertainment. Go through your bank or credit card account and write down what you spent on them in the last 30 days. You could use pen and paper, your phone, or a spreadsheet. We personally do it on Microsoft Excel on our computer. Okay, so these are your regular expenses, but it's worth thinking about your irregular purchases as well, such as Christmas or birthdays, you know, professional subscriptions, or your car MOT. You're just saying those because we, in the last month, got hit with all of those things. <laughs> Pretty much. Can you can you believe that we have to pay we have to pay over three hundred quid just to say that we are chartered accountants? I know, and it's so annoying because I became a chartered accountant maybe in July, so I had to pay about two hundred pounds or three hundred pounds in July, and now they send me an email that I have to pay it again for next year. It's it's great. Uh, wait, so you don't even get prorated for like for this year? You no. have to pay for a whole year's subscription. I'm not sure, to be honest, because I feel like they had another fee for actually applying to become a chartered accountant. So they just add up. Fun. Yeah. 
So you can go through your bank statements to see how much you spent on these irregular purchases previously, but that may be a bit too complicated for Christmas and birthdays, for example. So instead, you could just assign it a spend that you'd be happy with this year, which is kind of what we did. I think it's good to add Christmas and other holidays to your budget, as that way you can save towards it every month rather than have a big outflow in one month and potentially have to go into debt. I, I think I did see a statistic the other day that a huge amount of people actually go into debt because of Christmas and are planning to borrow money for this Christmas, which is quite worrying. Yeah, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. So, for example, if I think of myself a few years ago, I might have done something similar. Let, let's say, for example, I could have I don't know, taken out a credit card, might have charged me a small fee, but then not charged me any interest for three months or six months. Mm. Um, and that way, if you haven't been planning this budget over time, and you are all of a sudden hit with this big one-off cost, then it can be useful if you are able to spread the, the cost of Christmas over three months, even if it is using debt. Obviously, you know, now I'm a lot more aware of my finances. And so I'm a lot more aware that you know, I should be thinking about Christmas and starting to think about Christmas in the summer. But there may well be people listening who you know, haven't done that. So the ideal thing is to start saving beforehand. But it's understandable to know, you know if you're at this point, you're like, oh, damn, Christmas is you know, a month away. How am I meant to afford everything? If you can find a way to spread that payment over three months without being charged a crazy amount of interest, it's not the end of the world. But then next year, obviously, aim to get on top of it earlier than November. Yeah, I think likewise, if you find yourself in a situation because of the cost of living crisis, that you're not able to afford Christmas presents or that you're only able to afford a small amount, I would say that the best option would be to just talk to your loved ones and explain. Maybe just try to uh, invite them for coffee or for a walk. Maybe organize having dinner at your house because I think those kind of experiences will matter a lot more to your loved ones than, you know, some purchase that they'll probably throw away <laughs> after a few months. And I think they will appreciate the fact that you didn't have to go into debt to pay for those. Yeah, as you know, we're all about trying to be as open as possible when it comes to having conversations about money. But we know this isn't always easy. We know that even if you're open about finance, you know, there may be people in your family who are not and people that have very different views. So, you know, we're not saying it's as easy as just saying, oh, by the way, guys, can't spend money this year because it, it's never always that easy. But going about these conversations the right way, I think that most families would be sympathetic. I mean, for example, even even in my family, we do like a, a secret Santa between my siblings, which used to be 50 quid. But you know, I just asked, can we knock it down to 25 quid this year? And oh, I did think, you actually? Yeah, I, did. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah no, I did. Um, huh. And yeah, everyone seems okay with it. Because to be honest, I think you'll find a lot of people are in the same boat. This current cost of living crisis is hitting a lot of people. There's no escaping the higher energy bills that we're all seeing. And food prices. And higher food prices. Yeah, exactly. And, and fuel prices. And fuel prices. Anything else? <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think you just about covered the sad state of uh, yeah. the economy. Anyway, what were we saying about budgeting? 
Right. So to recap, the first step is to calculate how much you bring in. And the second step is to do a deep dive on your current spending. Okay, perfect. So what is the third step? Well, next, you want to make a list of your financial goals. Now, we've decided to put this as the third step, but in all honesty, you could probably do this before you start tracking all of your expenses. If anything, writing down your financial goals before you start budgeting could kind of be the motivation to actually go and put in the less exciting work in diving into your financials, putting it on Excel, you know, and writing down everything you're spending. Knowing why you're doing that can be a bit of motivation because not everyone is like me and and loves putting things on Excel. So these should be split into short and long-term goals. Short-term goals should take anywhere between a couple of months to five years to achieve. And this could include building an emergency fund, paying off debt, or saving for your dream holiday. Long-term goals could take decades to achieve and could include saving for retirement, buying a house, saving for your children's education, and so on. Your goals might change over time, but it's still useful to write them down. And another thing that may be useful is setting SMART goals. SMART is a mnemonic that stands for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Relevant, and Time-Bound. Bringing back some knowledge from my first year of uh, accounting. Don't ask me why we had to learn that. So instead of saying that your goal is to buy a house, you might say that you want to save up a £20,000 deposit by the end of 2028. So you can see here, rather than just saying, I want to buy a house and, you know, that doesn't really give you anything to aim for or it doesn't give you anything concrete to aim for. By saying you want to save up £20,000, well, that's measurable and specific for a deposit by the end of 2028, that means that it's time bound. And obviously, you would only do this if it is achievable for you. and it is relevant because, hey, you want to buy a house. So, for example, if you start this goal in January 2023, then you'd have to save £4,000 a year or £333 a month. So you can see how having this kind of goal creates a clear timetable and milestones, and it also allows you to track your progress against your goals. Okay, so you've made a list of your short-term and long-term goals. Step four is to make a plan of how to set up a budget which will help you achieve your goals. So now you can compare what you're actually spending by tracking your expenses, as we've discussed in step two, to what you'd like to be spending, and also compare it to your net income and your goals. You could consider setting spending limits for each expense category, for example, but make sure to make them realistic. If you were previously spending £400 a month on takeaways, maybe it's not realistic to set a spending limit of zero. So there are several ways in which you could set up a budget, But in this section, we will outline two of the most popular ones. The first is the 50-30-20 budget. This divides your net income into three categories by percentages. 50% of your net income goes to needs, 30% goes to wants, and 20% to savings. Your needs would include things like rent or mortgage, car payment, utilities, and groceries. Your wants would be holidays, shopping, and subscriptions like Netflix or your gym subscription. Finally, the 20% could go towards building your emergency fund or investing for retirement. For a lot of these, you could just set up automatic payments in order to make your life easier. For example, you can have an automatic payment from your bank to your investing platform that puts 10% of your take-home pay towards your investment portfolio on the day that you get paid. You can also set up direct debits and standing orders for your needs and wants. Now, you might be there listening and thinking, 
wait a sec, 50% of my net income doesn't cover my needs. You might be there thinking that, you know, I only need 30% of my income to cover my needs. Or you might be there thinking that you need 70 or 80% of your net income to cover your needs, especially now that stuff like energy prices and petrol prices have gone through the roof. So whilst this is a nice, straightforward method, know that it's not a one size fits all. So for example, if your net income covers 30% of your needs, you know, that's great. You have more money to spend on your wants and to spend on your savings. But if you're in a position where your net income covers 70 or 80% of your needs, obviously this approach will not necessarily work for you. It could be a sign that maybe you need to cut back on your needs where possible. For example, do you have a mortgage on a house that is maybe nicer or bigger than you need? Are you paying rent on a flat that's bigger than you need? For some people, this will be the case, but I'm completely aware that for other people, it will not be the case. And the fact of the matter is 70 or 80% of your income will go straight to needs. And there's not necessarily any way around that. Yes, another option it would be to increase your income. So take on a side hustle or consider asking for a raise at work. Obviously, these are pretty difficult times. So you may not be able to switch jobs or to get a raise from work, but it's still worth asking, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the summary is, you know, this method is very useful. It's kind of like a rough guide on how you can split your expenses, but it certainly won't work for everyone. However, another approach that is a lot more flexible to your individual situation is a zero-based budget. Now, this approach to budgeting was popularized by Dave Ramsey, and it involves making your net income minus your expenses equal to zero. With a zero-based budget, every pound you have is assigned a job, with some of those pounds going into savings investments and the rest assigned to different spending categories. This type of budget can be restrictive, and you need to put in a lot of effort in order to keep up with it. So it's not right for everyone. As you'll see a little bit later on, this is kind of the approach that me and Andrea take, Although I'd say that we have a slight twist on it and it's not as strict. One way that you can overcome this kind of strictness and the fact that it's so rigid and quite an intense budget is to set a budget for fun and entertainment as well and try to make it realistic so that you don't deprive yourself of anything, but you still save up for your future goals. Again, I can say from past experience that I've tried to do this before, but I would always end up spending a little bit too much on kind of miscellaneous expenses or takeaways or other entertainment and it would leave me feeling pretty rubbish and I'd end up going into my overdraft wasn't fun so you need to make sure that when you are setting these things out they are realistic okay so to recap step one was to calculate your net income so what do you actually get in your bank account step two was to do a deep dive on your current spending and to split them into fixed and variable expenses. Step three was to make a list of your short-term and long-term goals. And step four was to consider the budgeting approach that you're going to take. We outlined two such examples. One was the 50-30-20 budget, and one was the zero-base budget. Now we're step five. Once you set up a budget, you need to make sure that you stay within that budget. So how do you do that? First, you could look to adjust your spending. Maybe that means you need to cut back on some variable expenses such as entertainment or shopping. 
or you could look at your fixed expenses to see if you could switch to a cheaper utility provider or pay less on your insurance. Second, make it easier for yourself to stay on track. So automate your bills and payments towards credit card debt, for example, and make automatic transfers to savings and investment accounts. Also, I think a lot of bank accounts let you create different pots for different expense categories. So for example, you could have a pot with 100 pounds for takeaways a month. Once the money in that pot is gone, then you're done with spending on takeaways for the month so that you make sure to stay within that limit. Finally, review your budget to reflect on what has and hasn't worked well. And also if your circumstances have changed and therefore your budget needs adjusting. We suggest that you do this on a monthly basis when you get paid because it's a good time to revisit that plan, that spreadsheet if you have it, or that thing written down on paper just to see where you're at. Once again, these are just some general steps that you could take if you want to start budgeting. We wanted to cover as much as possible, but you don't need to do all of this if for one reason or another it doesn't appeal to you. If you just have a general rule of investing 20% of your salary and you're happy with how much you're spending and saving right now, then just do that. If you do your budget across a few lines on your phone's notes app and that works for you, then that is great as well. If you want to implement a 50-30-20 budget after listening to this podcast, then I'm glad we gave you an idea. But remember, there is no one-size-fits-all. We can try to give you as much information as possible, but at the end of the day, you should decide what you want to take away from this and what you want to implement. Having said that, let's end this podcast with a brief discussion of our budgeting approach. Yeah, so I guess we can just walk you through kind of how we created our budget and then what we do on a monthly basis and kind of like our our whole thought process behind that. We do follow similar steps to the ones that we outlined earlier and that starts with calculating your net income. Now this was really easy when me and Andrea both had full-time office jobs because we knew what our income was going to be every month. Now that is not the case. The income that we receive is a mixture of income from me writing articles on Seeking Alpha from Instagram partnerships, from TikTok partnerships, from basically any other revenue we've managed to generate through our social media pages and through savings that we've been putting together over the last few years. Yeah, so because we're now self-employed and we have irregular income, we actually kind of start with step two. So we start from our expenses rather than our income. But if we weren't, then we would start with our net income and then minus expenses and so on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a good point. So yeah, I, I, I said that we start by putting that income together. I mean, it probably is the first thing that we did, but the amount that we take from our savings fluctuates each month depending on the amount that we make from our other sources of income. So in terms of putting together the expenses, it's pretty much what we described. We take everything we have to pay. So you know, that is our mortgage, our energy bills, our home insurance, car insurance, alongside regular recurring payments such as gym subscriptions, Netflix subscription, mobile phone contracts, all stuff like that we put together to get a grand total of money that we can guarantee will be coming out of our bank accounts in the month that's coming up. So there's no flexibility at all in this. They're all subscriptions, they're all recurring amounts, and we can guarantee that money is going to be taken out. Next up, we have 
a little section for our more variable expenses. Now, the biggest part of this is groceries. Obviously, there is a lower limit on that, but we do have more control on how much we spend. We also set some money aside each month for, I think we call it fun and entertainment. So, you know, if we decide that we want to go out and do something and it costs money, as long as we're within that budget that we've set, we won't feel guilty for doing that because that is another issue when it comes to budgeting. You, you can almost make yourself feel guilty for spending money and that is not the plan at all. So it is really helpful to have that kind of separate pot that says, okay, I'm, I'm going to put X amount in this every single month and that's going to be my fun fund. Oh yeah, that's what we call it, the fun fund. Yep. And aside for that in variable costs, I think we also have petrol and we also have a couple of more specific savings pots there. So for example, savings for Christmas for presents for each other, saving for Christmas for presents for our family. And I think that's pretty much it. And finally, we also have a section for savings and investments. So this is why, and like I said, our, our budget is a bit unusual. We kind of do the expenses first, but we also kind of don't. And the reason why we need to have a rough idea of how much net income we plan on taking in every single month is so that we can make sure we're putting a reasonable amount into savings and investments. Yes, so our situation has dramatically changed in the last few months because we're now self-employed. But over time, my budgeting approach has varied so much. So I've probably, I had probably been working for four years before I decided to become self-employed and I had a regular fixed salary. I was pretty comfortable, to be honest. So I didn't necessarily look at my finances as much as maybe I should have. But as long as I invested something like 20-30% each month and I um, contributed to my workplace pension uh, to the maximum amount that my employer would match, I was pretty happy, to be honest. But as I got a bit older and I started learning more about finance and investing, I started to pay more attention to the way that I budget and I spend just because I wanted to maximize the amount of money that I can put into my investing account because that money will work a lot harder than I can. Yeah, and that's as we say, your approaches to budgeting will change over time. Sorry if you can hear some rain on the roof of our recording studio, aka garden shed. Um, <laughs> but if you can hear it, it's some nice relaxing background noise on a very lovely calming subject. If you can't hear it, then apparently we've managed to edit it out effectively. So round of applause. Um, yes. <laughs> but no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it was a lot easier when we were working full time and when we had regular salaries. But just going back to how we budget now. So as we said, you know, we, we have kind of like a net income that we aim for. If we achieve more than that in a given month, then whatever the excess is, we put back into our big pot of savings for self-employment. If we're lower than we need to be, then we take some money out of that pot of savings. So we do try and give ourselves a regular income each month, even though that can fluctuate on a monthly basis. So once we have that figure, we take away all the fixed expenses, we take away all the variable expenses, which we're kind of constantly reassessing each month to make sure that our assumptions are still appropriate, that they're still needed, and see whether or not we need to cut anything out. And then from this amount that we have left, we split that into savings and investments. 
I think we probably have about 65, 70% of that going into savings and investments. And the remaining 30%, we kind of give to each other as just money to spend on whatever during the month because it is difficult to, or at least I've always found it difficult to budget accurately for every single line item. And it's sometimes a little bit too optimistic to think that you can do that because there will always be unexpected expenses that come out that you know you probably wouldn't have foreseen. So we do find it useful to have that kind of little bit of money for each of us to spend on whatever we want. And it gives us a little bit of uh, autonomy as well, considering our budget is now very shared. You know, so for example, we recently bought a couple of electric blankets that were like 50 odd quid each. You know, or I bought myself a Terry's chocolate orange hot chocolate from Costa that costs £3.90, which, first of all, is very expensive. But secondly, I love it. It is the best Christmas drink out there by far. I also bought a Tony Chocoloni advent calendar for myself at 15 quid. Best purchase ever. <laughs> I love that on an episode dedicated to budgeting, you mentioned that you buy a £15 advent calendar. And... Should I even ask what number Advent Calendar that is? Okay, so <laughs> I might have a slight problem with Advent Calendars this year. I think it's because, if you haven't noticed, I'm not from the UK, um, so I didn't grow up here. And I'm from Romania, where this Advent Calendar thing is not a tradition. So, I don't know, I'm just really excited about this <laughs> for some reason. And I also really like sweets, so... That's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I mean, it is your first Christmas in the UK, isn't it? Okay, it's not my first Christmas in the UK, but I'm just very excited about advent calendars. I think these are really quite bleak times. I think we, we see a lot of depressing things in newspapers. And, you know, if something like an advent calendar makes you happy, then, you know, j just treat yourself, honestly. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's kind of what we're saying as to why you... Don't want a budget that is extremely restrictive. You want to have that little bit of extra money left over if, if possible, even if that does mean slightly reducing the amount that you put to savings and investments because, you know, you, <laughs> we're not robots. You know, we, we need that money because, you know, you, you need to treat yourself sometimes when you can, even if it's a little treat like a Terry's chocolate orange hot chocolate, a slightly bigger treat like your third advent calendar. Fourth. Fourth. Uh, wait. No, third. 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 O only third. <laughs> See, that's good because I thought it's the fourth. But now I'm like, ah, oh, only the third one. <laughs> Surprise, Andrea. This, <laughs> this podcast is actually an intervention. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. It's not. See, you have that money. Spend it on what you want. I'll spend it on hot chocolates. We'll spend it on electric blankets. So that is kind of like the rundown of how we work out our budget. We have the total income that we get. We take away all the fixed expenses. So that's mortgage, bills, subscriptions, insurance, stuff like that. Then we take out our variable expenses. These are like groceries or petrol or our fun fund. Then we have basically the money that is left. And we know that we can basically split that between savings and investments and money for us to spend freely. We put about 70% into savings and investments and then 30% for us to spend freely, depending on that amount, depending on your position, you might put more or less in savings, more or less in investments, and more or less to yourself. And that's basically how we do it. And I will say one 
It's my, my top tip because it really helps me. So I use Monzo to bank with. And Monzo, rather than having kind of like separate accounts, it lets you put money in pots. So every single month I have a pot for groceries. I have a pot for this fun fund. I have a pot for Christmas savings, for petrol, for bills that I know are going to come out of that account during the month. And I transfer the amount of money that I need and then I split it all into the pot. So I put X amount into groceries, Y amounts into the fun fund, stuff like that. It really makes it so much easier to track your money. And then every time, for example, we go to Aldi and we do a shop, let's say that shop comes to 30, 40 quid, I'll withdraw that money from the groceries pot and it'll kind of offset itself. So sadly, this is not an advert for Monzo, but hey, if, <laughs> if anyone... Maybe from it Mon- should be. <laughs> if anyone from Monzo is listening and would like to sponsor this podcast, you can find us at hello at stocksandsavings.com. But since that's very unlikely, just consider this a useful tip and something that really helped me. And just remember, we are going through very difficult times. So if you can't afford to put as much to your savings and investments during this time, that is okay. You can just focus on your needs right now. And obviously try to treat yourself even just a little bit, even by just buying a sheet mask and having a bit of time to yourself one night uh, or buying a Terry's chocolate orange hot chocolate. I think it's very important to do what works for you and also take care of yourself and your well-being. So there you have it, the third episode of season two of the Stocks and Savings podcast. We really hope you found this helpful. If you did, share it with a friend. Sharing is caring. And please give this episode a rating and a review. Since we are a new podcast, this would really help us to reach more people. See you next time.